Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast, a podcast where we help you take your ideas from a dream to reality. Each episode will cover topics to help you overcome frustrations we all encounter in our maker community. I'm Trevor Wanamaker, a part-time maker running MakerExperiment.com, and my co-host Stephen Ellis is a part-time woodworker running Old South Woodcraft. We have both encountered bumps and pitfalls along the road we call making, and we are using this podcast to help you avoid the same pitfalls. Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast for episode nine, where we're going to talk about 3D printing with none other than Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. It's 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 actually cooled off a little bit here in the south. So nice. It's still hot here in the southwest, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually cooled off a little bit where I am too. Today it's still 103. Hmm. That's that's not good. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, no it's I not. have this like theory about that you shouldn't be able to or you shouldn't live places that you can't walk without shoes on, and like that would be a place where you wouldn't want to walk there without shoes on because the ground would just be awful. I love so, your theory. Like, yeah, <laughs> I lost that battle, but I love your theory. <laughs> I think that derives from all your years spent in Savannah wearing, like, no shoes and just, like, walking around. (laughs) Actually, that was – it's a combination of things. I mean, this is a really good theory. If you really want to get into it, we can. But it's not just, like, the heat of the ground, but it's also, like, how harsh the terrain is, how many things on the ground want to kill you and eat you. So there's a lot to it. Yeah. True. Very, very true. (laughs) (laughs) So, So what are you guys watching this week? Well, Bob's the guest, so I'm gonna let Bob go first. Bob, what are you what are you watching? Because I know you always have a pretty big array of things you're into. Yeah, um, my wife and I we really like uh, the show Elementary. If you've ever seen Elementary, it's like uh, I, I've always loved Sherlock Holmes, and it's it's like a modern day Sherlock Holmes. It's on CBS, I think. We watch it on Hulu, but um, we didn't watch it for a long time, and now we're kind of catching up. So we're doing that every once in a while. But also, we started watching um, Cloak and Dagger which is a, it's a Marvel series, and it's on... I've wanted to watch that. I So I really liked the comic when I was a kid. That was It was just really cool, and so I wasn't sure what they were going to do with it. And so we watched the first episode, and I was really happy at the end of it. I was like, hey, this wasn't awful, so I may give it <laughs> another try. It was pretty interesting, so that's what I'm watching. You, you move on to round two. Yeah. Yeah, so so my thing for this week is not a show. It's it's a movie from my childhood that is like the epitome of I think like great comedy, and that is Spaceballs. So nice. I can't I can't not watch it if if I see it anywhere on any like plat- platform Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime. If I see it, I've got to watch it. So I've been watching that like bits and pieces of it going through the week. Nice. Yeah, I've been watching uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. on Netflix. So I started watching it a while ago, and I got back into it, but my wife won't watch it, so I usually watch it when I'm with the kids and she's out or something. (laughs) Nice. So it's usually one of those, I'll watch it on my phone while she's doing other things. I find that that's usually how I watch Marvel movies or any superhero movie, really. See, I must have lucked out because my wife watches all of that stuff with me. Like she may not be totally into it and not know all the, you know, how things are connected, but she'll watch, I can say anything. She's like, yeah, sure. We can watch Luke Cage or, you know, <laughs> Daredevil or whatever. So she will watch uh, Black Panther and she watched Wonder Woman, but those are about the only two. Hmm. Those are good ones. Better than nothing though. Yeah. That's very true. That's very true. I mean, she, I think, I think she really needs to watch Thor Ragnarok though. That was, she won't. that was really good. <laughs> I did oh. like it, but she won't watch it. Because <laughs> it's like you don't have to follow the plot line. You know, you don't really have to follow the movie that much. You don't have to know the background of anything. It's just, it's a good jump in at any point and watch movie. Well, and the next yeah. one I want to watch is Avengers, because it just came to Redbox, I think. So that's the next one I want to get from there. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a very good one. 
Well, no spoilers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we want to talk about 3D printing. So this is something that I've been interested in for a long time. I did some in college, but it was more of the, it's part of a class. You design your parts and they don't let you actually do or see any of the printing because it was usually one of the six figure, you know, machines that operated with liquid. So I have one somewhere on the floor behind me in a box that I still have not set up. But we wanted to talk about getting into it and kind of where people can get started because it can be very overwhelming based on what's out there and what to look for and things like that. So we wanted to to bring you in because you do a lot of this. I mean, you've built full costumes 3D printing. Yeah. Well, um, it's it's a big topic, and it's like one of those things that you can kind of come at from a bunch of different directions. So whereas I may have an opinion about how I think someone would come to it, you could talk to, you know, Joel Telling or any of these other people who'd spend a whole lot of time in 3D printing, and they may have an entirely different opinion. And I think that's one of the cool things about it is there's no single way to do it. I think uh, personally, like, a good way to get started is to, and, and I, I say this about just about everything, is to find a project so you figure out a thing that you want to solve, a problem that you want to solve, or a thing that you want to have, or whatever. And then you work backwards from that. And uh, I think once you figure out a thing that you want, then you can start to learn to model, like really basic modeling. I don't think you need to jump into like super complex stuff at, at the beginning. But if you jump into basic modeling, then you start to get a better idea of like, that's the first step. It's not just downloading things online using those models like you have to at least get a basic understanding of how to model something so that you know what the printing is actually doing like what it's you know what it's doing down the road so i think a good thing to start with modeling is either sketchup which is a a super simple 3d modeling program or tinkercad uh, and there's a free version of both of them tinkercad is a little more of like a it's it's a browser based and it's a little more like drag and drop you know, you can draw really simply. You can create 3D shapes out of 2D shapes really simply. And it's it's usable to where you could make an actual, real, legit part with it. But it's simple enough to get started that my 7-year-old started learning how to use Tinkercad and was able to, like, we said, hey, let's make a snowman. And he made a snowman from nothing. Wow. And Ooh. so, you know, with that, like coming in as a teenager or an adult, like you've got a great tool that you can get an idea and really simply get it modeled. So I think that's the first thing is is a simple project, figure out a way to model it. And when you do that, you start to understand, once you get a model, you start to understand, well, like, this won't work like I thought it would work. Or it needs yeah. this thing that I didn't think of. You know, you start to see a lot of the new problems that you have to solve. Yeah, and I think um, modeling in general is a big hurdle for a lot of people, which is, oh, yeah. we did an episode a uh, couple weeks ago about getting into 3D modeling, whether it's SketchUp cool. or Fusion or whatever, and talked with Chris Salamone. And mm. it was the kind of kind of the same thing where with you kind of have to just start and realize that 80% of it you're not going to touch, really. Yeah. You're going to mainly focus on 20%. Um, and I think people are hesitant to get into 3D printing unless they've already got the modeling background. I think, yeah, I think that's the truth. And I think the other side of it is that a lot of people will, because they're worried about the modeling end of it, they and they think that 3D printing is only about getting other people's models and figuring out how to print them. And that's that's an okay thing to do, but it's also like, it's like using the back half of a hammer only, you know, it's like, it's a hammer, man. Use both ends of it. Use the, you know, use the hammer end and the <laughs> pry bar end and use both parts, not just half of it. So I think people kind of cripple themselves when they decide to avoid the modeling process completely. So I think it's that's a good place to start. And Tinkercad is a really great way to dip your toes in and see some like reasonable wins. So how did you get started? Well, you if I recall correctly, like you didn't have a CAD modeling background really right 
No, not at all. I, I went to an art school for college, and I learned on soft image, which this was 20-plus years ago. But um, it was, you know, at that time, it was like the kind of software they were using for movie effects and stuff. So they were modeling, you know, I don't know. I can't even remember any of the movies they used. But <laughs> it was it was not a, not a CAD program. It was a, you know, like a an effect program. So it was modeling. It was an entirely different paradigm for how to do it. And so that's what I learned on. And then I stepped away from it and didn't touch it for probably 10 or more years. And then after that, I, um, I kind of got back into some 3d studio max, which is kind of getting closer and actually used to make like maps for halo, the first halo. That was why I got back into three modeling so I could make some maps. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And then I stepped away from it again. And when I came back, it was to sketch up. And so that was kind of my first introduction into more of a CAD like modeling, you know, environment or whatever. And honestly, like, I didn't know anything about that. I picked up most of it from Jay Bates. He's got a bunch of awesome videos about um, doing SketchUp stuff, like getting started from scratch. Learned a whole lot from him. And then once I got enough of that, Fusion was starting to get some momentum. And so I, I was really scared of it. And I had bad luck trying it for the first several times. And uh, I didn't really get it. And finally, I got on a Skype call with somebody from Autodesk. And I was like, hey, you got to explain this to me because it looks great, but I don't understand why it's important or why it's any different than anything else. And he went through the whole explanation of the parametric nature of it. I don't know what all you guys know about Fusion, but one of the... I know quite a bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's, well. uh, he's definitely got the background. I do not. <laughs> yeah, I, cool. I've been CAD modeling since 2006, and I started oh, wow. on uh, yeah. Katia V5. Which okay. is more like the aircraft automotive industry type of background. Right. And then I went to Fusion from that. So Fusion's very similar in the principles I found. Right. I, I guess I didn't understand the parametric side of it. Uh, yeah, so once yeah. somebody explained that to me, I was like, oh, now I see why this is way better than anything else I was using. So that was a big jump for me to get a, a grasp of that. So how did you, or when did you decide to actually do a 3d printer how did you even start the 3d printing side um so i was i was really interested in them but i also kind of held them at a arm's length thinking like well that's it takes the craft out of making things you know it, it's not there's there's not much to it it's like the machine does the work and that was that was my initial reaction and this is you know seven or eight years ago not really knowing much about it and uh i ended up finding a kickstarter for this printer that was it was like a delta printer so instead of a cartesian xyz kind of thing it was it's a uh i don't even know how to explain a delta printer it goes up and is down is it the one with like the three bars coming toward the middle yes so the hot end okay. is suspended within three arms yeah um and it it's just a different math to do the same thing basically but i found anyway i found a kickstarter for this thing it was gonna be like 500 bucks and i was like that seems like a good place to start so I got that. Turned out the printer was horrible. It was a kit. Didn't work. <laughs> I had to put it together. <laughs> but it it got me interested enough to like start to go, you know, looking for like maybe I need to get a decent printer to try on rather than the cheapest possible. And that's a big thing uh, that I, I try to convince people of. Like it's so easy to be interested in getting the cheapest printer that you can get as a way to dip your toes in it. But I think that's one of the worst things people can do. I find that with a lot of machines oh yeah so, absolutely because then you come they come with all the problems you would not have encountered if you had bought the better one yeah and not even the best one but just the better one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly I, a lot of people ask me which one did you get i have a trinus which was also a kickstarter maybe two years ago um so it its big thing was it has um three so it has the xyz uh but it has like three linear rods that drive it instead of belt driven um the build platform's kind of small i think it's only five by five by five uh but it's only like 11 parts you have to put together somehow i still haven't managed to put it together but <laughs> it's only 11 parts nice 
just just do it Bob Claggett style and and do it without the instructions. Just build it, you know how it how you think it should look like, and just put it together, and see if it works. Just that's, just feel your feel your way through it. <laughs> it might be possible. <laughs> I gotta find it. It's it's around here somewhere. We just moved, so all our crap is just like in our house. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people will go for the cheapest printer they can get, or a cheap printer because they're not sure they want to commit to it. But I think that ends up making more work like you're saying. Um, so I think that's part of, like, if you're interested, part of thinking through whether you actually want to do it is, I mean, in my opinion, is do you want to invest a little bit of money into it? Not the lowest possible amount, but, like, are you willing to put a little bit into it to make it worthwhile? Yeah, I've seen, I had a friend that bought the one that's made from laser-cut pieces of wood. Mm-hmm. That was, like, his first one ever. And it was constantly breaking or not working, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think he upgraded maybe a year ago to a Lulzbot, which is like for for the spectrum, that's a far jump from the laser yeah, yeah. cut piece of wood. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you're talking like five or ten years ago spending the money on like a laser cut type that style of DIY 3D printer made sense because it was either that or 6000 7000 8000 dollars like there wasn't a spectrum at that point now there's a spectrum from i mean you can get printers for 100 dollars all the way up to you know 10000 dollars and everything in between so it's not like you have two options of price range anymore you really do have a range so instead of going for the 100 dollar I think it's worthwhile for people to go to the five, six hundred dollar range because you just get a way better machine. Yeah, I think so. mine was in the three to four, maybe. Yeah. Really depends on the features. I mean. Yeah. Well, I was going to say though, you know, if you do start with that, you know, really basic machine or really low end machine, and you constantly have problems with it, you at least know what to look for when you do upgrade. It's like having a really crappy car as a teenager and having to work on it all the time. So when you do have money as an adult, you get a nice car, and you know what the problems are going to be or what to look for if you do have problems. Yeah, I mean, I guess it all depends on, like, the individual. Are are you wanting to get... Are you looking for a project? Because those printers, a cheap printer, can be a project all of, on its own, you know, regardless of what you're trying to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess it just depends on your personality, if that's not a, uh, a thing that's going to slow you down or deter you from trying to move forward with it, then yeah, by all means. But I know for a lot of me too, but a lot of people, if they try to print something and it's like garbage, it comes out of spaghetti. They're like, well, this doesn't work, you know, and then that's it. <laughs> 3d yeah. printers are bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, I found and like, I don't, I don't want that to be, you know, happen to people. I want people to at least give it a shot with a quality in the machine to see that there is a possibility for it to work. But yeah, again, it's, it's a personality thing, I guess. Machine wise, given your experience and what you've used, what kind of, or what brands, I guess, would be the better way to say it. Should people look at if they're interested in getting started, but shouldn't start at the bottom? Well, <laughs> I have to kind of dodge that because... Fair. I mean, like I've used... Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven brands of printers in my life. Only seven (laughs) brands of hundreds and hundreds. I mean, there are so many types of printers out there. So that may be a lot compared to what any other normal person has used in a few years. But relative to what's available, I have no idea. So I can only speak to the ones that I've used. Um, and Fair enough. This, the several that I've used, uh, the Prusa i3 Mark III, which is the current one, is hands down the absolute best printer for, for like the quality of the build, the quality of the print, and the cost. Like those three things combined. You know, I have printers that are better, that give better prints, maybe just barely. Uh, but those are also twice or three times the price. So, you know, that's not really worthwhile. But the, the Prusa is, I think you can get it fully assembled for like seven or $800 now. And this is like shipped from Europe. That's not bad. Oh, wow. No, it's not bad. And you can get that as a kit. And that takes 
$200 or something off the price. And, and it's to- I built one from the kit. It worked perfectly fine. Like when they came out with one of them, he sent me a, an assembled and a kit ones for me to try to see, you know, how they compared. And once I had the kit built, I couldn't tell the difference between the two in print quality or anything. So, you know, that's like a couple of hundred dollars savings if you're put, willing to put in a weekend's worth of work. So, yeah, I think that's a fantastic printer. And he's that company, Prusa. I mean, Joe Prusa is the guy that that owns it. They're constantly doing new things and, and making improvements, both in firmware and in hardware. And it's an open source machine. So theoretically, you can get their build of materials. You can source all of the parts online on your own and get it cheaper. Um, but I was actually talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago that said that they spent all the time, they spent like, I don't know, two months or something trying to track down all of these parts and the amount of time that they spent and the amount of shipping and money to get all these pieces from different places, they should have just bought his kit. So it's cool that it's open source, but it's kind of impractical too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now the downside, I guess, of that is that, you know, because the design is open source, a lot of other people have... The I, you'll see I3 in front of a whole bunch of printer names because people have taken that design and they like change one part or they put their colors on it or they do whatever to make it. But it's basically the same machine. Um, but the problem there is all of those clones, all the versions of that open source system, there's no quality control. And so you can think that you're getting the same machine for half the price when in reality you're getting the same pieces at half the quality or some of the pieces <laughs> or you know there's a bunch of different situations <laughs> so and like when it comes down to that printer you'll hear people a lot of times say like well you can get the same thing on you know from china for half that price or whatever but i would be really weary of of that i personally have experience with the legit prusa machines and they're awesome they're great we'll have to see how mine stacks up yeah, <laughs> I don't if know if I get it together. <laughs> I, I do think I don't. Know, are you guys familiar with uh, Joel Telling, the three D printing nerd? No. Okay, you should be if you're interested in three D printing at all. He's a friend of mine, but he's he's awesome. He's a YouTuber, and his whole channel is about reviewing printers, showing about how printing works, show about modeling. He reviews filaments, all this stuff, and he's an awesome resource if you're looking for a certain type of machine or a certain type of any anything related to 3d printing he is definitely like the go-to and when people ask me questions that i don't know which is most of the questions i just go hey you should go talk to joel because he knows everything so nice yeah Yeah, so i saw they came out with something that you can hook up to your existing printer and you can mount it directly to the printer and you can put in like four different colors of filaments in the bottom of it and it will go through and read i guess something in their software and it will splice and glue back together the filament into colored strands and make a colored print from that it's bananas i saw that video actually joel did a video with, with the guy that developed it it's nuts. I think so. I might have seen him then because I watched a YouTube video and I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. I can't really figure out how in the world they would write the math to do that. <laughs> like, that's just. I, I don't know. Because <laughs> apparently you can, you can kind of paint on your 3D model. Like, you can take colors and just, I want the color to be here. And you just paint it on the model and then their stuff does the rest of it. And that seems like magic to me. I can imagine the software behind that is ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. Given that you've been doing this for a while, what what kind of projects... So say you're first starting. You bought a machine. You started doing some modeling. What would be a good little project to start with that wouldn't be too intimidating if something went wrong and wouldn't be too terrible to try and troubleshoot or whatever it might be? Uh, that people can kind of dip their toe in a little bit at a time. So, I mean, I my answer, I think, is the same for no matter what medium you're talking about for that type of a question. Uh, I think something practical, something small and practical, and a good example of that would be like a drawer pull or a knob for something. Because if you have, um, 
if you have a, if you have a place that you use if you have a drawer that you use a lot just take the knob off and throw it away and be like okay now i have to fix that problem <laughs> and, and if you do that then then you're like okay what what's the I don't have to make what was there before. I can make something to serve the same purpose to, you know, solve the problem, do the job, and I can make it look like anything I want. And it's small. You know, you're talking a couple inches. Uh, it's not going to take forever to print. If it fails, you're not wasting tons of plastic, stuff like that. But, you know, you could model a really simple, elegant shape and make it any color you want. Or you could model like a character's head. You know, you put a little Darth Vader head as your knob or something like that. Um, but I think that's a really good small piece. You know, it'll print in probably an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Um, you get to learn about fitting pieces together, about boring a hole, it, not boring, but in the model, leaving a hole for the screw to come through. You get to learn about infill because it has to be strong enough for you to grab and pull and not crumble in your hand and not pull out of the, the you know, the drawer when you're pulling on it. So I think that's probably a good good place to start. Um, and then you'll get to probably want to experiment with different filaments as a way to figure out which one works best for that type of like hands-on, you know, application that you're actually touching and using. So. I'm glad you said that because we bought a cabinet from Ikea that has no knobs on it whatsoever. <laughs> there you go. And now I want to what? do that. <laughs> yeah, it has no knobs. You have to like, in order to open any of the doors or drawers, you have to actually like bend down and pull it out from the bottom or you can't get to it. It makes no mm. sense. Whoever designed it was not thinking clearly. They were Scandinavian. Yeah. That's Scandinavian design. Um, and their instructions <laughs> were wrong too, so Oh, there you go. Hey, don't don't be don't be hating on the uh don't be hating on the people from Holland. I think we've got oh, no, no, no. a couple no of hate. downloads last week. <laughs> <laughs> no hate. So you were talking about um, you know, infill. As someone who doesn't know anything about these machines, other than occasionally I see them in a YouTube video or I see them in like out in a makerspace or, you know, you and the other bigger makers reference them quite a bit, especially your amazing short troop outfit. Love that thing, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, do, do you do you tell the 3D printer to do the infill or is it just like a simple thing that says click to do infill or unclick and it's just a hollow form? Well, um, let's step back one layer because there's a piece in there that we haven't actually talked about that will explain that. So you model something in whatever modeling software you want, and you end up with a 3D model file. That's usually an STL file, but that can come from SketchUp or Fusion or Tinkercad or any number of options. Then to get that to the printer, you have to use slicing software, and there's a bunch of those as well. Um, I use one called Cura, which is free. It's open source. Um, and it's the one that I kind of like the best because it's really simple and easy to use. But there's another one that's paid that's called Simplify 3D, which has tons of settings and you can adjust every little thing. There's one called Slicer. Uh, most of them are free. But anyway, basically you import your model into that. And then that's the thing that generates the instructions for the printer to follow. And it takes your model and says, like, for the it's literally slices it into millions and millions of little slices vertically. And then for each one of those slices, it says, I have to draw this shape. And so you send those instructions to the printer and that printer draws a shape and then moves up and then draws a shape and moves up. And it's doing that with melted plastic and that's how the print forms. So when you're creating those instructions, you can do the infill settings there. You can say, I want this thing to be basically hollow on the inside, so no infill. Um, or you can give it any percentage up to 100. And that just makes it, it just depends on how dense you want the inside of it to be. And then there's also patterns for different infill type that they're always in a drop down. You can just pick one. It's not like you have to do the work, but you can, you know, you can have it be made out of triangles on the inside, or you can have it be, you know, I don't know, there's a bunch of them, honeycomb or uh, so, all these so... different things. It, it's like a cross hatch pattern, or if you want something really structural, do a hexagonal like carbon would be set up in a hexagonal, correct? Yeah, uh, there's different reasons why you would use different ones, but they all they use different amounts of plastic uh, depending on what kind of volume you're talking about. If it's a really big volume, you know, you can change the scale of the infill, not just the amount of it. 
Um, but all that stuff happens in the slicing software. And it's usually just, it's all built in. You just kind of pick the settings that you want. You don't really have to like model any of it. Now you could model it. I don't know why you would, but because <laughs> you, you, could, you don't like something, you really want to have a bad day. I think that's yeah, why. That's probably why you would do that. Yeah. Well, like to me, even though like three D printing and and this this particular area of making is not like something I, I see myself doing much of, the I guess the design and the the engineering behind it seems very cool. Like I would like to make a a shape that looks solid on the outside when you flip it over. It's like it looks like an intricate like honeycomb pattern. Like it on the outside, it's just a simple ball, but on the inside, it's so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're actually working on. I don't want to give it away, but we're working on something right now that uses the infill as a feature. And so we actually played with a. We made an outside shape, a volume, and then we're playing with the inside infill structure and the density and stuff, so that we can take advantage of that and in the final product you will see the infill as part of like detail within the whole thing so that's pretty trying, cool. trying to figure out how to use that use the inside you know use the structure as an element rather than just having this like hidden stuff on the inside of it so when does that launch on youtube i need to know now <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i definitely want to watch that sure. <laughs> uh it, it'll be a little while because we were having some problems with it so it's we always have a few things in the background that are like, you know, we're trying it and it stays over there and then we work on something else. That's that's one of those. It's been on the shelf for a little while. That's totally legit. I mean, <laughs> no no one no one came up with a perfect idea at, you know, version 1. Version 1.0, perfect right out of the gate, done. That's true. And that gets back to, you know, being willing to fail the first time and have something go wrong cuz I think that's one thing about this is something's going to happen most likely the first time because whether it's because I know there's differences between having a heated bed and not a heated bed as well as you know the type of plastic you're using whether it's ABS or PLA and all this other stuff and that's where it gets overwhelming to me I think Mm -hmm. is just not knowing not only do you not know much about the printer itself but then just like any other hobby, you can deep dive into, you know, flexible plastics and PLAs and ABS and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So how would you go about, I guess, starting beginner level recommended like materials and that yeah. type of thing? So for me, um, we print almost exclusively in PLA um, just because it's to me, it's the easiest one. So PLA is a simple plastic. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't get as affected uh, by moisture as some of the other ones. So you don't have to worry so much about keeping it any particular way. It does all right. Um, It's easy to print with. It's fairly durable. And it, there are some newer plastics, which may actually be better, but I haven't gotten to those yet. I just get like PLA works pretty well. So that's what I kind of stick to unless I need to do something else. Um, ABS as a printing material it used to be the big thing, and it was what everybody tried to print with because it's it's even more durable. It doesn't it, uh, doesn't crack as much. Like PLA can be kind of brittle. ABS is not brittle at all, but it's really hard to print with. Uh, depending on like the air temperature around it, you have problems. And like, so I printed with ABS one time, and it was just a disaster. And I was like, no, I'm I'm not gonna mess with that. Like I, I want to get things done. I don't wanna I don't want to fight the printer. I don't want to fight the filament. So. I just kind of put it aside. So I think PLA is a great place to start. Uh, PETG is one of the newer, in the last couple of years, newer types of plastic that people are using. And I think it has a lot of the same features and a lot of the same usability as PLA. I don't really know why it would be better or worse, honestly. Uh, It's just another option. So I think those are two good places to start. Flexible stuff uh, has its own, like, its own set of knowledge that you need to learn (laughs) so uh i would leave that for you know after you get comfortable and you have some success then i would try uh with the flexible stuff and like stuff with you know metal infill in it and like carbon fiber there's all sorts of crazy things but they've all got their specialty information and that's probably a little too much to take on right at the beginning yeah there's there's something i did hear about yesterday i was not aware of i mean 
for years, I mean, I did metalworking for a long time, and I know that there's robotic, you know, welding machines, but I heard yesterday, or maybe the day before, somebody talked about a 3D printer that uses metal filament, which I'm assuming is like a soft melt, something like brass or pewter. Um, do you know anything about that, by chance, Bob? I've heard something about it, but I don't really know any of the details, and I wasn't sure how legit it actually was either, so, so I, I don't know. it is legit. Is it? Uh, yeah. The where I used to work, we used to design for it for certain pieces of what we were doing. Granted, we never got to see it in action. Uh, we just got to design for it, so we knew kind of what would happen, and you had to plan for the different stresses and strains of the metal as it changed, as it essentially kind of welded itself together. And normally, whatever you tried to print would warp in a way. So if you did something at a four degree angle, maybe it ended up being 4.1 or whatever. So there was some movement with it, but it is, it's totally legit that they're printing in metal. Um, and I've seen like Eiffel Towers printed out of nothing but metal. That's wild. <laughs> That's really cool. It, yeah. But I imagine the, you know, the machine, cause I know where you used to work. Yeah. Um, I imagine the machine that you guys had there was not a, you know, couple thousand dollar machine. You're probably looking at no. like like quarter million or something like that. Uh probably more. But like yeah. Like maybe a cool mill, you know, just just a, just a million dollars for a machine. Just one makes yeah. just yeah. one million. Just, 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 just one <laughs> one single million, you know. Just just pocket change from the couch. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the different beds. So my printer that I have came with a regular one and then a heated one. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I don't know the, what the difference is and why you would use one over the other. I can make assumptions based on some research and watching YouTube, but can you get a little bit more, uh, give a little bit more info on on that part specifically? Um, I honestly I don't know why you wouldn't use a heated bed. Uh, at this point, okay. I mean, it used to be a cost thing. I think you know, it used to be having a heated bed was just an ad. You have to have a different material. You have to have the heat. You have to have the heat source, you have to have a way to measure that and make sure that the firmware is aware of it. Um, so I can see why it used to be a cost thing, but at this point, I don't, I don't know why you would not use a heated bed. Um, I know that materials just tend to stick better with a little bit of heat, and you can play with the temperature of the heat versus the temperature of the extruder. They're not the same, um, but you want the your first layer that touches down on the build plate is always like one of the most important things of a print because if that's not solid and really really well adhered to the build plate once you start building up that foundation is going to come loose and then once stuff starts moving or lifting a little bit then your print will die (laughs) it will fall over and spaghetti will go everywhere (laughs) so yeah exactly so that first (laughs) that first layer is really really important um on any printer i mean it's just that's a thing that you have to get down and a heated bed just makes that easier so okay yeah that's that's what i had thought but having no practical experience with it i wasn't exactly sure now you'll see on the bed um you'll see glass beds like the ultimakers that i have have glass for the bed and they work really well for the ultimakers i've seen some other printers that have glass that don't work well the Prusa that I was talking to talking about has um, uh, P, uh, PEI, I think is the name of the material, is the, the print. And it's, it feels like a really smooth metal, but it's got just enough like tooth to it that the plastic has something to kind of stick in. And so anyway, there's a bunch of different types of material for the print bed. And that really depends on the printer that you're getting, what it comes with. But most of them, you can actually swap out the print bed. So if it comes with one that doesn't work super well for you, you can either put something on it or you can swap it out completely with something else. Okay. You talked about downloading stuff and using that. And I know a lot of people do that. The, And I know of Thingiverse as one of the most popular ways that people get models. Mm-hmm. So if... If they don't, you know, take their doorknob off their door and throw it out and have to solve their own problem. <laughs> Are there other resources like Thingiverse, or is Thingiverse the main one that people use? Um, you know, honestly, I don't know. I know there are some other ones. Um, 
I don't typically look for models to print too often. So if I were to look for one, I would probably just naturally go to Thingiverse. But I know there are some other ones. Uh, I honestly don't know the names of them, though. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Once someone gets past the making doorknobs, replacement, you know, replacement pulls for things, making, you know, a thousand BB-8 figures or their own, like, printed Darth Vader head, what are some things, like, the, I guess, better applications for people that aren't designing a short trooper suit or are designing specific things, you know, for, I guess, for design, but for just a better application overall? Because as me, as a more of a woodworker, I mean, the only thing off the top of my head that I can think of to make with a 3D printer would be, say, replacement handles for hand tools. Because mm-hmm. I can, you know, it's a, it's a pretty simple shape most of the time, and it should be easy to model. And then, you know, small jigs. Things that aren't necessarily structural or things that may be structural that are easily replaceable. It's like make inserts for your drill press. You know, so that way, a couple times after you drilled in it too many times, you just pop that insert out, put a new one in, and you don't have to change the, the drill press bed anymore. You just have an insert that you just drop in all the time. Yeah, I think there's stuff like, I think the jigs are one of the most overlooked things for a woodworker. I think a lot of woodworkers just ignore the fact that you could, you can theoretically make a, in just a couple of hours, well, I'm sorry, the robot in a couple of hours can make a thing for you that is hyper-specific. So... Um, when I was at Matter Hackers, which is a 3D printing company that I work with in California, and I built a foosball table for their office in their parking lot, and it used 3D printing for a lot of the things. While we were making that, um, I wanted to put in some pocket holes to make this thing, and I didn't have a pocket hole jig because I was using all of their tools. And one of the guys goes, hey, I'll just print you out a pocket hole jig real quick. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> and so he goes in. <laughs> He goes in and then he comes back out and he was like, what degree do you want it to be? Because, you know, I can build it so that it, we can change the degree of the pocket hole. And I'm like, well, there's a perfect example. If you have some weird situation and you want to drill a pocket hole, but, you know, your material's different or the angle is hard to reach because of where you are or whatever, you can create something that works very specifically in that, in that place. I think making any kind of a fitting to hold two pieces at a certain angle Uh, You can make blocks to come off of your miter saw to give you an extra degree. Like if you needed to cut like a 55 degree angle on something, you can make an insert, a wedge that's printed very specifically to fit in and even have like, you know, a lip to hold the piece down or there's, there's all sorts of little custom things that you could make from a jig perspective. Um, I also made, I did a video on making little sanding tips and so I just I uh, did these two-dimensional shapes that were like detailed shapes. Uh, they were just shapes, and they had a handle on them. And then I extruded those out. Mm-hmm. I printed those things out, and then I wrapped sandpaper around them. And the cool thing about that is if you were to take a piece of molding or something that you had these like little cut-ins and you needed to be able to sand in those, you could print something that was specific geometry that fit inside that wrap it with sandpaper and get in there and and make custom sanding inserts and so i printed out four or five of these different little things at different different shapes just as a you know as an example um but if you were even if you were making a short trooper mask or some other thing and you're modeling a part you can model the opposite Mm-hmm. as a sanding insert, you know, so it's going to be a perfect fit. You get the exact sand that you want, things like that. So I think there's tons of opportunities for like little helpers around a wood shop or a metal shop. Um, there's certainly, you good. know, 3d printing is not going to solve all the problems for sure. But it, oh, if you, not. if you have it in your mind is like, here's the thing I could go to when I need precision or I need some, I don't know, some very specific thing, or I need something done in another room buy a robot while I'm doing woodworking, <laughs> that's a pretty cool thing, you know? Like, we have a, an army of robots here, and we can make them cut stuff and make stuff for us while we do the real work, so. I, I started to build up my army of robots because I have the I, I have the 3D printer, but I have a, a laser that I use most of the time, and I found that once once I have the electrical well enough that it doesn't trip my breaker when I try to run a power tool at the same time... <laughs> The uh, it's nice to be able to start a job on it that's going to take an hour, 
and then go do something completely different for an hour and it's like you're twice as productive basically oh yeah and it's amazing how much that helps i think you need to design the uh the finger like bob has hey alexa turn on was it your laser is that what you had it designed for bob yeah 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 it's just hey alexa turn on my laser you nice. don't even have to like. You don't have to leave your kitchen. You can just turn it on and be ready to go. Don't forget the exhaust fan, though. Uh, oh, that's true. But <laughs> but what you do is you just have one of those uh, electrical packs, you know, like a power that's tool true. hooked up to a vacuum. When that when the laser kicks on, it, it kicks on that vacuum automatically, or kicks on so, the exhaust automatically. So my exhaust system in my shop is controlled by Alexa. The Glowforge itself. Oh, she just beeped. She's gonna t- start talking to me. Uh, <laughs> The Glowforge turns on and off by her, and the finger presses the button, so I can literally run the entire laser system from the desk, other than putting material in it, I guess. But, yeah, I love that stuff. Nice. It's so much fun. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, you're, you're going you're gonna to have, like, world domination through Alexa. That's what's going to happen, Bob. <laughs> well, Alexa, you know. do my bidding. That's right. As long as Alexa doesn't revolt on you, you're good. Yeah, I, I try to be nice, so I think we're good. <laughs> so, 3D, 3D printed flying monkeys is the next thing. There you go. <laughs> uh, so you modeled that the the Star Wars costume, right? Infusion. Yeah, I just did the helmet. I modeled just the helmet. Given my background more in the mechanical side of the 3D CAD and being very uh very engineering style you know perfect angles and and not very artistically how how did you do that in fusion because i know that was not easy to do um no it wasn't i i modeled that probably took about 50 hours of modeling and that was me learning how to do it at the same time as doing it like i i had no idea what i was doing um honestly i found a playlist of videos from from Autodesk, and they were modeling a um, an F1 helmet, like a racing helmet. And so it was a totally different structure, but I took from mm. them the process for getting... Uh, they had images from the front, like a, a flat image, and then a profile image. And they laid those up as reference planes, and then basically just traced to get their overall shapes on both of those planes. And then they talked about how to create... Um, I can't remember the word for it now, but to create a shape that was was more of a mesh and not necessarily like a sketch-based thing. And so you you create these these shapes and you just can kind of pull them out. You're sculpting more than anything else. And it took a lot of time just of trial and error of sculpting these shapes out into the right, you know, kind of stuff that looked kind of right (laughs) and then putting another shape on top of it. (laughs) But that playlist, and it's probably 10 videos or something, but that was completely responsible for me being able to do that. Like, I learned a ton from them on that playlist. Yeah, I found that usually the hardest project you try to model is usually the most worthwhile project you try to model, because that's usually where you're out of your depth and you're learning something new, like, every five seconds. Yeah. That one definitely taught me more than any other project that I... I mean, I've not done a ton of modeling, honestly. Um, but that one was by far the hardest. And it made everything after that seem pretty easy. Like, I modeled the Optimus Prime uh, rifle. And it was like a four-foot-long uh, transformer gun. And it was really basic shapes. So after doing that helmet, I was like, oh, man, it's like cylinders. <laughs> and like, I can do this all day. <laughs> it was actually fun. Oh, yeah. That's good though. That's it's very cool. I must admit, I am amazed at how you were able to do that. I'm me too, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're getting pretty close. I know that you didn't have a lot of time, um, but we we try to ask what kind of advice would you give to people just starting out in 3D printing specifically, and we've kind of talked about some of it throughout the episode. Uh, but if somebody was just starting out, what advice would you give them as they're, as they're thinking about it, but are still kind of hesitant and a little scared of it? Um, 
I mean, I think one thing would be to see if you could find a makerspace near you. There's a lot more than people think. There, there are a lot of them around. And there's even a lot of public libraries that have printers that you can access. And if you can find a printer, uh, find a makerspace, there's probably people there that already know how to do the stuff and are more than happy to sit down with you and explain 3D printing or to show you something or to help you do a project or something like that. That's kind of what makerspaces are about. And the people there are generally really helpful. And I think going to a place like that and sitting down with somebody and letting them walk you through it or help you through it is a great way to do it. Um, if you can find a place like a library that has printers, there may or may not be somebody there to help you, but it's a good resource to be able to start playing with them, you know, without investing money into it. Um, so I think those would be good places, but honestly, I think the best thing is just to figure out a, a maybe it's not a problem to solve, but a specific thing that you want. And if that's like you said, like a little BB-8 figure or a little a door pull or a, something, just figure out the thing and stay on that one thing until you get it. Um, I think you'll learn a lot more than you expect just having a goal and keep going at it until you actually achieve that goal. Okay, good. Yeah. So as kind of a follow-up to that, if someone you know somehow stumbles across a, a good deal on a 3D printer, or, you know, they just, they happen to just say, hey, I'm going to buy it. This is, you know, I've got this much to spend. You know, they've made that initial investment, but there's always consumables. And there's consumables with everything. Where are, like, are there places, you know, I assume there's certain manufacturers that just put out, you know, branded PLA or branded ABS or this, that, and the other. But are there other places that's just like, here, you can buy filament by the, you know, by the pallet full for super cheap. Just order it, you know, and it'll be shipped to your door. Are there places there, like that online, Bob? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can buy it from anywhere. You can get – there's an Amazon Basics filament type now. Um, you can get filament from tons of places, but they, it's just like the printers. Like, the cheapest one is not always the best one because there's a quality control to filament that affects the printability of it. If it's if it's a certain type of plastic and it's not kept with, uh, you know, kept moisture out of it, it's not going to print well. And you okay. don't know that from looking at it. So, I, I like I said earlier, I work with uh, Matter Hackers, and they don't sponsor stuff, but they just, like, help me out. And the reason I do that, I do have a relationship with them, is because they are awesome, and their whole goal is just to get people printing. They don't care what kind of printer you buy. They don't care what kind of filament you use. You can call them whether you've purchased anything from or not. And like ask them questions about printing and they'll help you. They're awesome. And so they're a place that you could go and say, you could call and be like, I have this much money. I want the best printer that I can get for this much money. What is it? And they'll say like, oh, well, it's this one or it's this one or this one. And you say, I don't know anything about filament. And they'll go, okay, well, we have this and this and this. I mean, they're, they're fantastic and they have tons of stuff. So it's a pretty good place to go. They're, uh, they're based in California. So everything okay, ships cool. out of the U.S., which is pretty cool. So good people. Road trip. Yeah. <laughs> for me. It's a little different road trip for me. Uh, three days. Three days for you. Yeah. And I guess as kind of a slight follow-up to that, um, are there forums or are things like that? Places, I know we talked about, uh, I guess, Thingiverse and Matter Hackers. I guess Matter Hackers probably has you know, online help, but are there specifically dedicated forums or Facebook groups that are just 3D printers just constantly, you know, people designing stuff and just putting this stuff out there, open source? Hey, I made this cool new thing this week. I want you guys to print it and see what it's like. Yeah, there's a, a bunch of those, and I don't prob I don't really know any of the specific names, but I know that, like, the YouTube 3D printer community is really tight-knit and really open. And so if you start watching somebody like Joel Telling or there's a guy named Angus, uh, there's a guy named Devin that does make anything 3D, once you get into one of those channels and you start to like look around, you'll find that they're all super good friends. They all share information. They, they will model things and put it up and ask people to print it to show it off. They all share all of their information about how they print things and the best settings and the best this and the best that. It's a really awesome community, and that's a great place to start. As far as Facebook groups... The ones that I've seen mostly, and there's obviously millions of Facebook groups, the ones that I've seen are <laughs> yeah. mostly very specific to printers. 
So I know like the Prusa printer that I was talking about, they have a Facebook group mm-hmm. that's, I don't think it's an official one, but it's just about that printer. And so anytime there's a problem, somebody has a problem or a question, it's in that group. And I actually left that group because there was so much conversation all the time that it was just overwhelming my feed. But that's pretty awesome because if you have a question about it, you know that there's a bunch of active people there you know, that can answer it. So if you're looking for specific printer information, that's probably the, f- the fastest way to get it. Okay, cool, cool. So there's, there's lots of resources available. There's potentially lots of maker spaces available. There are people like Matter Hackers. I mean, that's, that's the things we want to put out as part of our podcast is to let people know that may not be aware of this stuff. Hey, go check these people out. Go check this person out. Ch- you know, see what this is like. Tell us. So we can put it on the podcast and, and try to get more people to listen or more people to view. That's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the basis of our podcast is to help other makers. It's not just to talk about our making necessarily. We're definitely close on time. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. we, we want to thank you for, for coming on here. Because to be honest, when I first messaged you, I was 100% surprised you responded, which <laughs> that was amazing, by the way. Because oh, yeah. you'll be surprised at like how often... I'll message somebody that has like, you know, 4,000 followers and they never respond to you. So that was pretty amazing that you're willing to talk with us, uh, even though we're not, you know, huge channels by any means. And we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Yeah, I, I know personally I've always felt like as someone in the maker community, you are like kind of the epitome of, of, of knowledgeable, but also super approachable. If, if someone has a question, I feel like they can come to you and you can give, the, you know, it may not be the most expert advice. You may not be the expert in everything, but you're going to try to do the best you possibly can for them. And I, and I always, you know, really thought highly of you because of that. Oh, wow. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> it made me blush. <laughs> and I, I no have problem. to admit that getting into making I would say is majority from watching videos from you and Jimmy Duresta and you know, you guys like you that have been doing this for a while and the new thing you're doing with bits mm-hmm. where you're given like a little tip that is very helpful because oh, I found that, you know, something as simple as I think you were talking about welding in one of them um, and where you touch, you heat up the metal and then you touch the filament to the metal to melt mm-hmm. it in, I never would have known that otherwise without watching, you know, a 20 minute long thing versus yeah. your short ones. So yeah. I, I think it's great that you're doing that. Well, that's awesome. That's good to hear. And actually, <laughs> I don't usually talk about what we're going to do ahead of time, but we're actually planning a whole bit series on 3D printing. So we're going to break 3D printing down at that level in probably three or four separate videos just as a way to get people's toes in the water. That's perfect. Yes. Hey, we're finally ahead of the curve on something. <laughs> and, and I know what I'm going to listen to or watch as soon as it comes out now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely put the, the links in the show notes then so we can go like, just here, just go watch Bob. He's going to talk about it. There you I'm, go. I'm pretty sure if people are listening to our podcast, they already know about Bob. So. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Very you true. Know. It's Very a big true. world. It's That's a big true. World. But the That's thing true. sometimes it's like, I don't want to search on YouTube because if I search in search 3d printing i know i'm going to get six billion results i'd rather just go i need to watch this video done that's a good point it's just to go straight to it and that's it so thanks again for taking time out of your night i know it's getting kind of late on your guys' side of the country but thanks again it it means a lot that you came on and were willing to talk about this well bob it's it's been it's been awesome man we hope to have you on again if, if, if possible Oh, yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Sounds great. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for listening to our show. Be sure to check out MakerVisionPodcast.com. We'll post valuable resources, tips, and info about anything we've talked talked about in today's shows or past shows. And all these things are to help your Maker Vision become a Maker Reality. If you have any questions or suggestions or any comments about what you heard today or, once again, in previous episodes, feel free to drop us a line at makervisionpodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at makervisionpodcast, or through mine and Trevor's personal Instagram accounts 
and that is Old South Woodcraft or Maker Experiment. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review and a, and just some really nice words to, to let us know how good we're doing. Or if you didn't like it, let us know what you didn't like about it. Either way, we're happy to hear from you. And you can go and do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Once again, thank you for joining us on our podcast, and we really look forward to hearing, hearing from you next week. 